Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Right, she's confirmed. She's ready for the next chapter. Count Peyton says that we can go. Right, Peyton? Right, Peyton? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, she's also a little annoyed. That's okay. That's what moms are for. We're supposed to annoy you, embarrass you, all the things. Yep, okay. A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket, Book the 13th, The End, Chapter 4. By the time that the Baudelaire orphans returned to Ishmael's tent, the journey was hope was the joint was hopping, a phrase here which means full of islanders, uh, all holding items that they had scavenged from the coastal shelf. The sheep were no longer napping, but standing stiffly in two long lines, and the ropes tying them together led uh, led to a large wooden sleigh, an unusual form transport form of transportation. In such warm weather, Friday led the children through the colonists and the sheep who stepped aside and looked curiously at the three new castaways. Although this was the first time that the Baudelaire's were castaways, they were accustomed to being strangers in in a community from their days at Prufrock Preparatory School to the time spent in the village of Faldevotes, but they they still did not enjoy being stared at. But it was one of the strange truths of life that, prote- that practically nobody likes to be stared at and that practically nobody can, be, can stop themselves from staring. And as the three children made their way towards Ishmael, who was still sitting in the enormous clay chair, the Baudelaire's could not help look, help look back at the islanders with the same curiosity, wondering how many people could become castaways on an island are wondering how so many people can become castaways on an island. It was as if the world of people with lives as unfortunate as the Baudelaire's, all ending up in this very small place. Friday led the Baudelaire's to the base of Ishmael's chair, and the facilitator smiled down at the children as they sat at his clay-covered feet. Those white robes look very handsome on you, Baudelaire's, he said, much better than those uniforms you were wearing earlier. You're going to be wonderful colonists, I'm sure of it. Pyronic, Sonny asked, which meant something along the lines of, how can you be sure of such a thing based on our clothing? But rather than translate, Violet remembered that the colony valued kindness and decided to say something kind. I can't tell you how much we appreciate this, Violet said, careful not to lean against the mounds of clay that hid Eshmel's toes. He didn't, we didn't know what would happen to us after the storm and we're grateful, grateful to you, Ishmael, for taking us in. Everyone is taken in here, Ishmael said, apparently forgetting that Count Olaf had been abandoned. And please call me Ish. Would you like some cordial? Um, no, thank you, said Klaus, who could not bring himself to call the facilitator by his name. We'd like to meet the other colonists, if that's all right. Of course, the Ishmael said and clapped his hands for attention. Islanders, he cried, as I'm sure you've noticed, we have three new castaways with us today. 
Violet, Klaus, and Sunny, the only survivors of that terrible storm. I'm not going to force you, but as you bring up your storm scavenging items for my suggestions, why don't you introduce yourselves to our new colonists? Good idea, Ishmael, someone said back in the back of the tent. Call me Ish, Ishmael said, stroking his beard. Now then, who's first? Oh, I suppose I am, said a pleasant-looking man who was holding what looked like a large metal flower. It's nice to meet you three. My name is Alonzo, and I found the propeller on the airplane. This poor pilot must have flown straight into the storm. What a shame, Ishmael said. Well, there's no airplane to be found on the island, so I don't think that propeller will be of any use. Excuse me, said Violet hesitantly, but I know something about mechanical devices. If we rigged a propeller up just a simple powered motor, we might have a perfect a perfect fan for keeping cool on particularly hot days. There was a murmur of appreciation from the crowd, and Alonzo smiled at Violet. It, do- it does get mighty hot around here, he said. That's a good idea. Ishmael took a sip of cordial from his seashell and then frowned toward the propeller. It depends on how you look at it, he said. If we only made one fan, then we'd all be arguing over who got to stand in front of it. We could take turns, Alonzo said. Well, then whose turn would it be on the hottest day of the year? Ishmael said. A word here that means, oh, Ishmael countered. A word here which means said in a firm and sensible tone of voice, even though it was not necessarily a sensible thing to say. I'm not going to force you, Alfonso, but I think building a fan is worth, I don't think building a fan is worth all the fuss that it might cause. Well, I suppose you're right, Alonzo said with a shrug and put the propeller on the wooden sleigh. The sheep can take the, take it to the, uh, arboretum. Excellent decision, Ishmael said, as a, as a girl, perhaps two years older than Violet, stepping forward. Forward, I'm Ariel, she said. I found this particularly shallow. I found this in a particularly shallow part of the shelf. I think it's a dagger. A dagger, Ishmael said. You know we don't welcome weapons on this island. Klaus was peering at them at the item that Ariel was holding, which was made of carved wood rather than metal. I don't think that's a dagger, Klaus said. I believe it's an old tool used for cutting pages out of a book. Nowadays, books are sold with their pages already separated, but some years ago, each page was attached to the next, so you had to have an implement to slice the folds of the paper and read the book. That is interesting, Ariel said with, and remarked. It depends on how you look at it, Ishmael said. I fail to see how that could be of any use here. We've never had a single book wash ashore in these stormy ashore the storm simply tear the pages apart klaus reached into his pocket and touched his hidden commonplace book you never know when a book might turn up he pointed out in my opinion that tool might be useful to keep around ishmael ishmael sighed and first and first looking at klaus and then the girl who had found them well i'm not going to force you ariel he said but if i were you i would toss that silly thing into the sleigh Oh, I'm sure you're right, Ariel said, shrugging at Klaus as she put the page cutter next next to the propeller with the man, as as did the man with a sunburned, plumped face step forward. Sherman's the name, said Sherman with a little bow to the three siblings. I found a cheese grater. I nearly lost a finger prying it away from the nest of crabs. Oh, you shouldn't have gone to all that trouble, Ishmael said. We're not going to have much use for a cheese grater here without any cheese. <gasps> Great coconuts, and he said. Delicious cake. Cake, Sherman said. Edgad, that would be delicious. We haven't had dessert since I've arrived here. 
Coconut cordial is sweeter than dessert, Ishmael said, raising his seashell to his lips. I certainly wouldn't force you, Sherman said, but I do think that the best would be... I do think it would be best if that grater were to be thrown away. Sherman looked, took a sip from his own seashell and then nodded, looking down at the sand. Very well, he said. The rest of the morning proceeded in a similar manner. The islanders introduced the items themse- themselves and the, presented the items they had found and nearly... Every time in the colony's facilitator discouraged them from keeping anything. A bearded man named Robinson found a pair of overalls, but Ishmael reminded them that the colony only wore customary white robes, even though Violet could imagine herself wearing the white, wearing them while inventing some sort of mechanical devices so as to not get her robe dirty. An old woman named Irwan held up a pair of skis that Ishmael had dismissed had dismissed as impractical. Although Klaus had read many people who had used skis to cross mud and sand, and red-haired woman named Waden who offered a salad spinner. But Ishmael reminded her that the island's only salad were to be made from seaweed, and that was rinsed in the pool and then dried in the sun rather than spun. Even though Sunny could almost taste the dried coconut snack that such an appliance would have made. Ferdinand offered a brass cannon, with which Ishmael, Ishmael was afraid would hurt somebody, and Larson offered up a lawnmower only to have Ishmael remind him that they did not need anything that would need to be trimmed regularly. A boy about Klaus's age introduced himself as Amaros and held up a deck of playing cards he had found, but Ishmael convinced him that a deck of cards was likely to lead to gambling, and he dumped his item back into the back of the sleigh, as did the young girl named Finn, who found a typewriter that Ishmael had pronounced useless without paper. Brewster had found a window that had survived the storm without breaking, but Ishmael pointed out that you didn't need a window to admire an island's view, and Calypso had found a door that the facilitator had hinted could could not be attached to any of the island's tents. Byam, whose mustache was unusually curly, discarded some batteries that he had found, and Willa, whose head was usually large, decided against a garden hose that was encrusted with barnacles. Mr. Pickcarron took the top of the chest drawers of the arboretum, followed by Mrs. Marlowe, who had the bottom of the barrel, bottom of a barrel. Dr. Kurtz threw a silver tray, and Professor Fletcher ejected a chandelier, while well, Madame Nordoff denied the island a checkerboard, and Rabbi Blag agreed that the services of a large ordnance birdcage were not necessary on the island. The only remains of the islanders ended up keeping were a few nets, which they would add to their supply of nets to use to catch fish, and a few blankets, which Ichmil thought would eventually fade to white <clears throat> in the island sun. Finally, the two siblings named John, jo- oh, Jonah and Sadie Bellamy displayed the boat dis- displayed the boat on which the Baudelaire's had arrived with its figures still missing in the nameplate reading Count Olaf still taped to the back but the colony was almost finished with its customary outrigger for decision day and so the Bellamy lifted the boat into the sleigh without any without much discussion the sheep wearily dragged the sleigh out of the tent and over and up over the bray and towards the far side of the island to dump the items in the 
an arboretum to the arboretum and the islanders excused themselves at ishmael's suggestion to wash their hands for lunch with moments on the occupants with within moments the occupants of the tent were ishmael the Baudelaire orphans and the girl who had first brought them the tent as if them to the tent as if the siblings were merely one merely another piece of the wreckage to be picked over for approval quite a storm wasn't it asked ishmael after a short silence we scavenged even more drunk than usual were any other castaways found by asked do you mean count olaf ishmael asked after friday is a after friday abandoned him He'd never dare approach the island. He's either wandering around the coastal shelf or trying to swim his way back to wherever he came from. The Baudelaire's looked at one another, knowing full and well that Count Olaf was likely hatching some scheme, particularly as none of the islanders had found the big boat's figurehead where the deadly spores of the medusoid mycelium were hidden. We weren't we weren't just thinking of Olaf, Klaus said. We had some friends who may have been caught in the same storm. A pregnant woman named Kit Snicket, who was in a submarine with some associates, and a group of people who were traveling by air. Ishmael frowned and drank some cordial from his seashell. Those people haven't turned up, he said. But don't despair, Baudelaire's. It seems that everything eventually washes up our shores. Perhaps their crafts were unharmed by the storm. Perhaps, then he agreed, trying not to think that they might not have been as lucky as that. They might turn up in the next day or so, Ishmael continued. Another storm is heading this way. How do you know, Violet said. Is there a barometer on the island? There's no barometer, Ishmael said, referring to the device that can measure pressure in the atmosphere, which is one way of predicting the weather. I just know that there's one coming. How would you know such a thing, Klaus said, stopping himself from retrieving his commonplace book so he could take notes. I've always heard that the weather is difficult to predict without, without advanced instruments. Well, we don't need any advanced instruments in the colony, Ishmael said. I predict the weather by using a magical melodrub. Uh, uh, by using magic. Melodrub, Sunny said, which meant something along the lines of, uh, I find that very difficult to believe. And her siblings silently agreed. <clears throat> the Baudelaire's had a role. They did not believe in magic. Although their mother had no had a nifty card trick, they could occasionally be persuaded to perform. Like all people who who have seen something in the world, the children had come across plenty of things that they had been unable to explain, from the diabolical hypnotism techniques of Dr. Orwell to the way a girl named Fiona had broken Klaus's heart, but had never been tempted to solve these mysteries with supernatural explanation, like magic. Late at, late at night, of course, when it is when one is sitting upright, in bed, having been woken up by a sudden loud noise, one believes that all sorts of supernatural things, but it was early afternoon and the Baudelaire's simply could not imagine that Ishmael was some sort of magical weatherman. Their doubt must have shown on their faces, for their facilitator immediately did what many people think that they would do when they are not believed and hurriedly changed the subject. What about you, Friday? Ishmael asked. Did you find anything else on the, anything else the, by the besides the castaways and those those awful sunglasses friday looked at sunny and then shook her head firmly no she said then please go help your mother with lunch he said while i talk to our new colonists do i have to friday asked i'd rather stay here with the baudelaire's i'm not going to force you ishmael said but i'm sure that your mother could use some help 
Without another word, Friday turned and left the tent, walking up the slopes to the beach towards the tents of the colony, and the Baudelaire's were alone with the facilitator, who leaned down to speak to them quietly. Baudelaire's, he said, as your facilitator, allow me to give you a piece of advice. As you, be- as you begin your stay on the island, you might, um, as you begin your stay on this island, what might that be? Violet asked. Ishmael turned ar- turned and looked around the tent as if spies were lurking behind the white fluttering fabric. He took another sip from his shell and he cracked his knuckles. Don't rock the boat, he said, using an expression here which means don't upset people by doing something that is not customary. His tone was very cordial, but the children could hear something less cordial, almost hidden in his voice. The way a coastal shelf is hidden by the water. We've been living our custom our customs for quite some time now, and most pe- most of us can scarcely remember our lives before we came castaways, and there's a whole generation of islanders who never lived anywhere else. My advice to you is not to ask so many questions or meddle around too much with our customs. We have taken you in, Baudelaire's, which is, which is a kindness, and we expect t- kindness in return. If you keep prying into the affairs of the island, people are going to think that you're unkind, just like Friday thought of Olaf, just like Friday thought Olaf was unkind, was unkind, so don't rock the boat. After all, rocking the boat is what got you here in the first place. Ishmael smiled at his little joke, and although they found nothing funny about poking poking fun at the shipwreck that had nearly killed them, the children gave Ishmael a nervous smile in return and said no more. The tent was silent for a few moments until a pleasant-looking woman with a freckly face walked into the tent, carrying an enormous clay jar. You must be the Baudelaire, she said, as Friday followed them into the tent, carrying a stack of bowls fashioned from coconut shells. And you must be starving, too, said Miss Caliban, Miss Caliban Friday's mother, who, and I do the most, oh, I miss, oh, and you must be starving, too. I'm Miss Caliban, Friday's mother, and I do most of the cooking around here. Why don't you have some lunch? That would be wonderful, Klaus said. We're quite hungry. What are you fixing, Sonny asked. Miss Caliban smiled and opened her jar so that the children could peek inside. Ceviche, she said. It's a South American dish with chopped raw seafood. Oh, Violet said with much enthusiasm as she could muster. Ceviche is an acquired taste, a phrase here which means something you don't like the first few times you eat it. And although the Baudelaire's had eaten ceviche before, their mother used to make it in the kitchen to celebrate the beginning of crab season. It was none of the children's favorite food, and not precisely what they had in mind for their first meal after being shipwrecked. When I was shipwrecked recently, for instance, I had the, mis- I had the fortune to wash aboard a barge, which, which I enjoyed a late supper of a roasted lamb leg with creamed polenta and f- and a fricasse of baby artichokes, followed by some aged gouda served with some roasted figs and finished with fresh strawberries, dipped in milk, chocolate, and crushed honeycomb, and I found this to be a wonderful antidote to being tossed like a rag doll in the turbulent waters of a particularly stormy creek. But the Baudelaire's accepted their bowls of ceviche as well as the strange utensils Friday handed them, which were made of wood and looked like a combination of a fork and a spoon. They're, um, they're runcible spoons, Friday explained. We don't have forks or knives in the colony as they can be used as weapons. Oh, I suppose that's sensible, Klaus said. Although we couldn't help but think... We couldn't help but think that nearly anything would be useful as a weapon if we were... 
if one were in a weaponry mood. I hope you like it, Miss Caliban said. There's not much else you can cook with raw seafood. Nagihama, Sunny said. My sister is something of a chef, Violet said, and was suggesting that she could prepare some Chinese dish- Japanese dishes for the colony if you were able if you were any wasab- if you had any wasabi on hand. The younger Baudelaire gave their sister a brief nod, realizing that Violet was asking about wasabi not only because she might allow Sunny to make something palatable, a word here which means that wasn't just ceviche, but because wasabi was a sort of horseradish often used in Japanese food and was one of the few defenses against the medusoid mycelium, which, and with Count Olaf lurking about, she wanted to think about possible strategies should the deadly fungus be let loose from the helmet. Well, we don't have any wasabi, Miss Caliban said. We don't have any spices at all, in fact. No spices have washed up on the coastal shelf. Even if they did, Ishmael added quickly, I think we'd just throw them in the arboretum. The stomachs of the colonists were too useless. Colonists are useless to spice to spiceless ceviche, are used to spiceless ceviche, and we wouldn't want to rock the boat. Klaus took a bite of the ceviche from his runcible, runcible spoon and grimaced at the taste. Traditionally, all ceviche is marinated in spices, which gets an unusual but most delicious flavor. But without much seasoning, Miss Caliban's ceviche just tasted like whatever you might find in the fish's mouth while it was eating. Do you eat ceviche for every meal, he asked. Certainly not, Miss Caliban said with a little laugh. That would get tiresome, wouldn't it? No, we only have ceviche for lunch. Every morning we start, we have a a seaweed salad for breakfast. And for dinner, we have a mild onion soup served with a handful of wild grass. You might get tired of such bland food, but it tastes better if you wash it down with some coconut cordial. Friday's mother reached into a deep pocket where her white robe and pulled out three large seashells that she had fashioned into canteens and handed each one to the Baudelaire. Let's drink a toast, Friday suggested, holding up her own seashell. Miss Caliban raised hers and Ishmael wiggled his clay chair up and opened the stopper of his seashell once more. An excellent idea, said the facilitator with a wide, wide smile. Let's drink a toast to the Baudelaire orphans. The Baudelaire's agreed to the Baudelaire's. Wait, they didn't say that they were orphans. Interesting. How did he know? To the Baudelaire's, agreed Mrs. Caliban, raising her seashell. Welcome to the island. I hope you stay here forever and ever, Friday cried. The Baudelaire's looked at the three islanders grinning at them and tried their best to grin back, although they had so much on their minds and were not very enthusiastic. The Baudelaire's wondered if they they really had to eat spiceless ceviche, not only for this particular lunch, but for the future lunches on the island. The Baudelaire's wondered if they had to drink more of that coconut cordial and if refusing to do so would be considered rocking the boat. They wondered why the figurehead of the boat had not been found and why and they wondered where Count Olaf was and what he was up to, and they wondered about their friends and associates who were somewhere at sea all about and about all uh, of the people left behind at the Hotel Denouement. At this moment, the Baudelaire's wondered one thing most of all, and that was why Ishmael had called the or- them orphans, I knew it, when they hadn't told them their whole story. Violet, Klaus, and Sunny looked first at their bowls of ceviche, and then at Friday and her mother, and then at their seashells, and then finally at Ishmael, who was smiling down at them from his enormous chair, and the castaways wondered if they really had if they really had reached a place that was far from the world's treachery, or 
if the treacher- world's treachery was just hidden someplace the way Count Olaf was, was hidden somewhere very nearby that moment. They looked up at the facilitator, uncertain if they were safe at all, and wondered what they could do about it if they weren't. I won't force you, Ishmael said to the children, and the Baudelaire orphans wondered if that were true after all. Ooh, that's creepy. This guy's a creep. He's another bad guy.